Hello and welcome to Audio Mission from Church Mission Society. I'm Trevor Smith. This month, we look at one of Church Mission Society's focus areas, people at risk. We believe God cares deeply about the most vulnerable people in our world, and so do the people we meet this month. First, we look back with Laura and Simon Walton over 16 years of faithful work with people at risk in Tanzania, including those living with HIV. They'd been back in the UK for just 10 days when Naomi Rose Steinberg asked Laura about how she'd been called to a role with the New Rue Craft Workshop for People with Disabilities and first talked to Simon about his priorities as he led a health centre. The health sector in Tanzania is quite corrupt, generally. Um, it's very easy to uh, get money from patients who are in desperate need, so it's quite easy to manipulate patients in that situation. So as easy as it is to do that, then... It's very important for us as a church health centre to not do that, to present an alternative to that, and there can be, we can actually care for people without looking at the money, and we can actually provide love rather than just on a financial basis. So we can provide a real alternative to what the rest of the market can provide. So that was my, that should have been the face of the church for me, in that this should be a caring, and we should be honest, and we should be truthful and we should deliver the best care we can deliver for the money that we've got and we can, should be true to our Christian values so we should not bribe the government because it's easier or we should not do this we should pay more money but in the end God will see us right and uh, we'll, we'll develop because of that um, so there's lots of constraints we could have developed faster if we'd taken those shortcuts but we decided not to I think that's really quite important and to create sustainability so that the health centre can, can continue and they were my goals. And how are, how are you feeling in terms of um, transferring leadership? Really positive. I mean, I, I was a degree nurse. I left the health centre too, almost. Um, he returned in September last year after completing his degree. And I've been working with him since then to hand over. So there's been a long handover period. My administrator I left with, the health centre will continue under him because he's faithful and he's trustworthy. And I see that as being a a massive quality um, in my administrator and my accountant. So your role sounds very administrative. Did you get to practice medicine then? Yeah, so I saw, it was quite nice I didn't see all the routine stuff. I saw the complicated things. I was one of seven doctors, so I would only see the things that other doctors uh, wanted help with or, or we wanted to share the case with. So I saw all the more interesting medicine. You were in Tanzania during the advent of, or the arrival of um, antiretroviral medication. What was that what Was that like in that context? And probably in terms of my career, that was the most fundamental thing that could have happened at any time. Because going from an illness where everyone was, was going to die to suddenly having a treatment, uh, which initially, so a lot of people died because it started on it quite late. But once it, you know, a year or two in, to that uh, supply of antiretroviral drugs, people started living. And you wouldn't know, if you went to my clinic today in Dar es Salaam, um, you wouldn't know who was HIV positive or not. So we had 1,200 patients we cared for in the health centre, and you wouldn't know which ones they were because they were all living normal lives. And so it's going, when we first went to Tanzania, where everyone would have died, to being in a situation where all those people were living normal lives, almost normal lives. It was incredible. And your role at Nuru, was that, I mean, is it similar to Simon's in that you weren't planning to be 
head leading it like how did that how did that kind so, of evolve so i i volunteered i was teaching english and um, because they needed help when they go out and sell their arts and crafts at markets they needed to be able to speak english so only really esther could speak english and then the others couldn't so i started off so for the first probably the first year i predominantly taught and then just hung around and helped them afterwards so i think when when the tanzanian manager left we thought we would just be able to carry on as it were because she'd only done two days and we'd sort of taken on the jobs that she'd done quite quickly so there was another volunteer uh, a swiss lady called emmy so we thought we could manage it together um, but then we noticed that actually well, if you don't have a head if you don't have somebody wearing the hat then somebody else will jump in and take what doesn't belong to them so we we learned quite quickly that we needed somebody to be in that position so so when i was i was asked to be the manager which was not at all we were praying for a manager but not praying for me to be a manager at all so i was a little bit shocked and and took a long time to agree and say yes so when we we were back in 2012 14 and i really asked people to pray because it wouldn't be an easy job and and i've always i've always known that people are ready to pray very quickly if you can get the messages out to them please pray there's a big meeting this is happening um so no it wasn't it wasn't my goal at all at all um and I like motivating people and I like pushing people from amongst the, rather than leading people. But, you know, God called me to, okay, you say you're here for these people, or the, he, here are these people for you, Laura, and you've got to stand up for them and you've got to speak for them because they can't speak for themselves. And yet, you know, they all have ways of communicating. So I had to learn sign language in Swahili, which I can do a little bit, but not very much. Um, you know, the Swahili wasn't a problem. But actually giving them a voice and the best thing about giving them a voice was being in a meeting when i didn't speak and they did the speaking thank god with us for laura simon and their family and all the ways in which they have helped vulnerable people to lift themselves up in tanzania now we turn to brazil and the experiences of becky reed who's been working on a short-term basis alongside andy and rose roberts at the revive safe house in olinda revive was set up by our mission partners andy and rose to provide refuge and restore the lives of girls from the streets who've often suffered abuse of terrible kinds here's becky talking to nomi rose steinberg about her calling above the hum of passing traffic so i've had a a calling to go to Brazil since I was about 13. I read about girls living on the streets um, by a, it was a, he's a journalist now, um, who's a Christian and he went to, um, he started off in Recife actually, in Olinda and he um, wrote about the girls that were living on the streets and they were addicted to drugs and they were getting involved in all sorts of, um, they'd been abused and um, physically scarred and um, mentally scarred and um, I just felt like God was kind of saying to me you know I'm going to use you to to work with these girls in the future. Do you really get a sense that God is working in some of these girls lives? Yeah I do um, I mean you know day to day sometimes it can you can feel like ah oh, you know where is this going like what's you know I just feel like I'm wading through treacle or I'm hitting a brick wall and they don't seem to be getting any better or they seem to you know you you want you want to offer them this help and sometimes they just simply don't want it sometimes and um and it can be really difficult but 
yeah I really feel that God is working through them and I really feel that they see the love of God through through the people that work there and that you know they can complain and it must be difficult living in a place like that way you're far from your family and things but I think they all know deep down that we love them and that they've been brought to revive for a purpose and a reason. There's one girl who she came to us about two years ago and um, she was a victim of sexual abuse. When she came to us I remember because that was when I was volunteering there for in 2014 um, and she just she didn't speak she couldn't read or write she had no confidence she just really she just kind of existed she didn't like have any you know everything had kind of been taken away from her really and then you know just in two years I've seen how much she's improved she can read and write now she's so much more confident she does have some learning difficulties um which is probably um a result of her of her abuse and you know she does have um you know, we need to work through those with her, but um, she's done really well and it's so amazing to see how much she's changed just in confidence and, um, and you know, just she's so lovely. She's just one of the loveliest girls I've ever met. And her plan is to go back for at least another year and then maybe longer? The plan is to go back for more or less a year and then to come back and the plan is to go in for selection to be a, a mission partner with CMS. So given everything that you've experienced so far in your kind of mission journey, um, what would you say to somebody who maybe is considering going for overseas mission? What kind of advice would you give to them? I would say go for it. I, I think it's really important that, um, you know, you need to um, sort of listen to what God's saying to you um, and to test it. That's important. Um, and to have confidence to do that um, to trust in God's timing I think is principle because I think sometimes I have a bad habit of wanting things when I want it and I don't have much patience but God has been like so faithful to me through all of my journey and through all of my story so far and have a plan but don't control it too much because you'd be surprised about what God has planned Let's be thankful with Becky for the surprises God has in store for all of us, not least those girls at Revive who have had such a rough start in life. For our last interview, we travel back to Africa and Uganda, where Richard Bracundo, a Church Mission Society local partner, coordinates children's and youth work for the Anglican Church of Uganda. Sarah Holmes asked him about his approach to this vast task. The church stands for ministry, which is holistic ministry. Uh, if it is uh, safeguarding and protection, yes, that, that can be one of the aspects, but also things like, for example, what do we teach children? Uh, do we teach children the correct things or the right things? Do children look like they, they are, pretty, they, they are growing in, what, in understanding or knowledge of both knowledge of the Lord and knowledge of how to look after themselves, skills that they need, because if you do not know how to look after themselves or maybe to even support themselves and their families, that's an issue. So sometimes it's actually to see whether we're talking about uh, things that are bringing skills and bringing children to the understanding that they, yes, they can change uh, their community, their families, their world. And this, of course, uh, some of the trainings also have to do with uh, leadership and seeing how the leaders are handling things 
and of course if it's chaplains then it's also to do with ministry in the schools it, which involves counseling prayer leading prayers it involves uh, being able to talk to teachers and help the teachers to be teachers who value the children and appreciate that their work is important and if it is parents and communities it has to do sometimes with child abuse issues, child protection issues, parenting issues. So really it's been diverse, but anything to do with young people, youth, children, may be part of the agenda, depending on the groups and what programs are running with them. So they look to the church, these different people would see the church as playing a kind of crucial role, or do you have to kind of persuade them that Mm, you mm. have to show them or help them how does it work kind of? I think Church of Uganda is established in every village you have a church Church of Uganda Church of Uganda is really well established right. and I think we also over the years have had a lot of faith people trust us people believe in us so if you Church of Uganda call for a training and I go to communities and I train people who are not necessarily Church of Uganda but I will be putting on my call and they know I'm a reverend but they will come whether they are Muslims or non-believers they will come for the training because they, they trust the church and the church leadership I know there are um, some of the things um, that you've seen sort of certain things increasing and there's physical abuse neglect emotional but the biggest one is sexual abuse hmm. I think and that's increasing is it or I, I don't know whether we can say it is increasing but the truth is of course the population has increased that's true but these cases are also many more reported now. So you have maybe radios and the press and there's a lot of publicity now, maybe than it ever used to be. But I also know that there are stories that happen now that you never used to listen to. That there are many more stories that you'll hear. We never had issues of child sacrifice happening a lot more. Now they can happen. You never heard of children being abandoned or thrown away. Now it can be stories every time. You never heard of parents who have molested their own children or harm a child but now you can hear those stories a lot more so I think even growing in the Ugandan community villages there are things we never used to listen to but now you can hear them more often tell me how you measure your sort of success if if yeah, you can I think, say it I think, like yeah, that I think the church has come out clearly we have now a child protection policy for us it's important that all those who work with children in churches, in schools, in our organizations affiliated to the church, all know that we have a safeguarding standard and child protection. All children in our care must be safeguarded, must be protected. But also it is important that the church comes out to to the community and stops things that they think are not right. So going out to communities and saying, look, child molestation or child labor is not right. Or for example, say we know corporal punishments are not right in the law. So coming out to say, as church, we want that families really think that corporal punishments for children is not acceptable. By God, by the law, they're not acceptable because they harm the child psychologically, children grow tortured. So if we are church, it's also coming out and being the icon that we are the faith icon, the godly icon that people can trust that when the church leader says something, they will believe. Because our churches, unfortunately, unfortunately, they are full of people. People come on Sunday, they will be full. They are, so we believe the community is full of also many Christians who go to churches. So it is the church coming out to fight about evils which are not right for the community, but for the welfare, especially of the young people. Their dignity, their value, and growing as children who God loves and we, and we respect them like God respects them and loves them and calls them his own. And how long have you been doing your job? 
Several years, I think. Yes, of course. I took over the children's coordinator in 2012, so I've now made four, five, or come in four, five years. But, You've uh, seen changes in your time. Yes, of course. Would you say? I think, yes, there's an appreciation for what is the press of children. Uh, we now have churches saying this month is dedicated to children's work and talking about children and everything. Now, you have a diocese saying this, yeah, this month or this year we shall be talking about children's work and how to support children. It's our major th- focus area. Now, for me, that's very good that you have institutional as churches, the dioceses, churches, putting children on the, on the front and saying we need to build a church for them, a place of worship. We need to employ someone to work for the children's ministry. That is something we have taken steps in. A lot of leaders of the church and church roles appreciate that it is important to have quality things for children. Now that's very important too. It's also to see that uh, when children come, they don't just sing and dance. They are also learning something that add value to them. The children know the Bible. Children learn some skills. They have character values taught to them. That what the teachers are teaching is not just uh, singing and dancing. It's, It's a lot more that children come to church and yes questions of life they can ask questions about their sexual life about their school and everything the message I share with everybody is to say we are all agents of hope and that hope should come from families should come from the government should come from the church should come from the community that hope where young people see themselves as as members of the community now and members of the community tomorrow and knowing that yes they can make it there's a future which is brighter. There's a, there's a hope for a job. There's a future for a marriage, for a home. That is important. So I share with the churches about praying for us, but also encouraging us, supporting us, because that's what we are creating in Uganda. We don't believe that when people come to Europe, that's when they will find everything good and life. So young people should be in Uganda thinking about coming to Europe or to UK. It is about them having hope in their country and believing that they can do small things, but grow, learn skills, be able to get out of that situation of poverty and change their country, change their families, their communities. We are very thankful to be working with partners like Richard who have such enthusiasm, commitment and hope. Now to bring this edition of Audio Mission to a close, here's Ian Adams, Mission Spirituality Advisor for Church Mission Society with a seasonal reflective prayer activity. Turning Attention, Advent. The season of Advent is a time of preparation for the coming of the Holy Child, Jesus. A time to ready ourselves for the revelation that as God with us, he brings hope for all peoples everywhere. This prayer exercise is a simple act of preparation. It's confidential, only for you to see. Take a piece of paper Write your name or draw a simple picture of yourself somewhere in the centre. Now, ask yourself this question. To what am I giving attention at this moment in my life? As your responses to the question come, note these places of attention on the paper around your name, gradually moving outwards. Be honest with yourself and reflect on your responses. When you're ready, write or draw something near the edge of the paper to represent the coming Jesus and a sign of shifting your attention. Wonder at what this might mean for you. 
you might like to use this prayer. Holy child Jesus, I turn my attention to your coming. Help me to prepare myself for the change you will bring. Help me to give my attention above all to you. Ian Adams drawing this month's audio mission to a close. You can find more of Ian's prayer exercises in the resources section of our website at churchmissionsociety.org. Thank you for listening and for all your prayers. Please join us next time to hear from more voices of God's global mission.